and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We've been going through the book of Revelation, but we're going to take a pause from that. And um, we've got some folks here with us today that we're going to interview that do different things within uh, missions, okay? And so from Hallelujah Toffee, there's Jim Winans, Karen Berger, and Jeannie Burns. Um, And then we also have from the Slavic Gospel Association, Mark Miles. And then uh, from Inkai's Children, we have Keith and Tanya Tackett with us this morning. And so... uh, we're going to get to hear a little bit about each of those things. Um, as, as, we, as we do this, I'm going to ask a few questions of them. Uh, they're going to ask each other a few questions. And so you guys kind of get to uh, just kind of watch us have a conversation, listen in on these different things. And then uh, the one thing I'll share with you when you come and you hear something like this, it can, be, it can seem a little disconnected from your life at times. Um, and so as I was talking with uh, the folks from Hallelujah Toffee and getting to go down to the shop and see how the operation works, I have Bible verses all over the place. And one of them was Galatians 2.20. And that says that uh, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, uh, but he lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, essentially what Paul is saying, we live in conjunction with him. And so this is a message for us as Christians to hear um, kind of how the life of Christ is showing up in these different areas of ministry. Um, For you as a Christian, it's also for you to kind of ask, how have I seen God inspire? excuse me, inspire me? Um, what are the, maybe some of the things that he's inspired me to that I haven't taken action on yet? Um, and then maybe also, is there a part that God wants me to be involved with these ministry partners um, in some way, shape, or form? And so if, if you're a Christian here with us this morning, that's what we want you to hear. If you're with us this morning and you have not placed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, I think there's some really cool things that you're going to hear about what it is to follow Jesus this morning. Um, and so uh, we just share with you that the gospel is that Jesus Jesus Christ died on the cross for the payment of our sins. He was buried and then he was raised again. As that song said, he was raised again on the third day to give us new life. And when you trust in that message, you believe that your sin is taken away through Jesus's actions on your behalf on the cross. And you believe that God raised him from the dead. That gives you new life and it makes you a follower of Christ. And so um, I want you to hear this morning, if you haven't made that decision yet, kind of what is it like to follow Jesus? Um, And some of these examples, um, you you may or may not end up serving people in Kenya. Um, but so some of these examples you may not exactly connect with, but I guarantee God has exciting things for you to do as you choose to follow him. And so with that, um, Karen, will you share, Karen Berger, will you share a little bit about the history of Hallelujah Toffee? So Hallelujah Toffee has been at Hilltop for a long time because um, it started 22 years ago when my husband was doing some graduate work and we needed supplementary income. So I had my mother-in-law, Mary Lee Berger's recipe for toffee. And I said, I think we could make some money. So it was purely about money at the beginning. Um, And I don't even, yeah. And it, it, I don't think that's a bad goal. We needed the money. And um, so we went out and worked hard. And in the process, we refined our recipe. We worked on building that business. And then when my husband was done with 
his graduate work, we decided to kind of switch over and go nonprofit. So we've been nonprofit since 2011. And since that time, most of our uh, workers, volunteers, have come from Hilltop Community Church. So that's why you'll see a lot about Hallelujah Toffee in the fall. Every October, we have volunteers that put on these goofy hats and aprons, and we go to a kitchen down in Gardnerville, and we will cook thousands of pounds of toffee. This year, our goal is 5,500 pounds of toffee, which we are almost finished with. We have two more days in the kitchen. And um, then when we finish cooking all the toffee, uh, and we weigh it, we seal it. Then there's a day, um, one day, where we will build like 10,000 boxes in one day and we will put all the toffee in their forever homes and then we let social media do its work and off it goes to be sold for the year. So we will sell out. Um, God is so faithful. Every year we sell out, usually be f by December 5th or so. And so that's our goal for the year. Um, we are, we're close to that, and it's, it's going well. We have four goals now. It used to just be money. Now there are four goals. The first goal is we do want to make an excellent product. We want to make sure that our toffee is the best toffee around. So we, we, do, um, we do that really well. The second goal is we want to earn money so that we can give it 100% of our profits go to ministries that we are really passionate about. You will hear today um, our passion as a board, by the way, this is our Hallelujah Toffee board right here. Um, our passion is really for the gospel. That's where change is going to happen in our world. That's what is most important. If I could give anybody one thing, that's the thing I would give them is Jesus. He's more important than the meal or even the scholarship, which were good things. But this year we are, we are unashamedly um, just preaching Christ because that is what we believe. So we want to find those and raise funds for those outreaches. You'll meet two of the three today. And then um, our third goal is we want to have sweet, good, honoring fellowship in the kitchen when we work. That is a gift to all of us. Um, and then our fourth goal is to make sure that we evangelize to any non-Christian who we have the opportunity to share with. In each box is an insert. It has scripture in there. There is, we are talking about Jesus. We do that at the packing party, November 5th. There will be um, a lot of Douglas High School kids that come and they are not believers. So it's an opportunity. We, we love praying for that ahead of time because it's amazing how, you know, God will put Jim Winans next to a little Christian or a non-Christian high school student and then he shares with her or him. And it's just amazing how he works that out. So um, that's where we are right now. Um, all of it could not be done without volunteers. Nobody takes a paycheck. Everybody is... We paid just in Jesus' dividends. He just is so good and faithful. Mm. Um, at, I will give you one number. I love this number. Well, two numbers. We've made 43,000 pounds of toffee since going nonprofit. So that's over, what, 21 tons or something. It's a, it's a lot of toffee. Um, if you were to take that and put it in man hours, it would be so much time. It would be me working eight hours a day every single day for the next year and a half without a break. Uh, that's how much time it would make it would take to make that much toffee. We do that in about three weeks every year, and what we do in three weeks it would take that long for me to do on my own. So clearly, many hands, light work, especially if it's spirit led, and and that's what we have at this point. 
So. That's great. Yeah. So, and if you haven't had a chance to have the toffee, it's going to be for sale here, what, uh, sometime next month, early next month. November and 6th. November 6th. And I've had plenty of the toffee over the years. And Karen said that his forever home is in a box. I think it has a different forever home. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, let's see. So Hallelujah uh, Toffee, it's its own 501c3. Uh, the other thing we would say is when you donate to the church, right? So like if you guys give to the church, um, uh, roughly every eight, eight to 10 cents of every dollar that you give goes to missionaries that we support, okay? Um, and so uh, this is actually something that's totally outside of Hilltop's um, budget. This is a 501c3 that you guys have started. And so when you buy toffee, all the proceeds from that go to help these missionaries around the world do different things. And what, uh, what Hollywood Toffee has done over the years is they have helped students come out of Kenya that wouldn't have the money or ability to go to a secondary school, um, and they get a chance to then pay for that tuition, send these, these kids through, uh, through secondary school, and then, uh, like, we've had Flora Savai come and speak here as well. Um, she's in the States. I wonder if she'll be in the area. I'd love to get to talk to Flora. Yeah. Next yeah. week, our house. Okay, well, yeah. we'll see about we can get her here next Sunday. Um, but, uh, it, and the amazing thing that these students do in their in their um, in their country, but then also around the world. So that's what they've been doing over the years is getting students the opportunity to to have that secondary education. Um, but that's shifting a little bit, right, Jim? And so you guys are going to do some different things with the money that comes in. Why don't you share a little bit about that? I have to go on script, uh, Mike. Is this on? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, as many as of you know, Hallelujah Toffee has been sold here at the church, as Karen mentioned, for at least a dozen years. And uh, for all those years, all the profits have been sent to One Life Africa in Kenya through the local bridge ministries. Many good things have happened over the years. We've built a school. It's completely paid for. We have educated many children. Many of them have gone on to be professionals. The one we just mentioned is a lawyer. Right. And all of these children came out of the slums. And uh, I know early on, Greg had a vision to help these kids uh, not only know Jesus, but also to have an education so they could find a job and, and support themselves. Because these slums are, are really pitiful when you go over there. So this year, Hello Utafi is expanding our vision and we'll be focusing on at least three Bible-believing ministries, Ankai's Children, Novo, and Slavic Gospel Association. They're all Bible-believing ministries. They're out there preaching the Word and bringing uh, souls to the Lord. So um, I, I want you to notice on your bulletin, there's a new logo, and it shows the entire world instead of just Africa. In the past, it's only been Africa. So... As Kurt mentioned, we're a 501c3 and all volunteers, and I've been a part of the volunteers. I started, Jeannie always tells me this, I came in for one day and I've been here for two years now or three, <laughs> whatever it is. But it's just such a blessing to work not only with these two ladies, but all the volunteers that show up. It's a phenomenal way to serve the Lord. And I guess maybe I'll mention right now, when I was a new Christian, I went to a church in Oakland, and I think 30% of their budget went to missions. And we were blessed to have these missionaries come through from Africa, from Ecuador, from uh, all over the world, and we got to know them. I remember one man, he was from China. He had been kicked out of China because the communists took over. And I went into a prayer room with him, and I can still remember, it was like that man had God's hand. 
he was praying, and it just touched my heart. So I've been I've been interested in missions, my wife and I, and uh, I just love being on this Hallelujah Toffee uh, outreach. Yeah. So Jeannie, um, I want to ask you a question. Will you share with us just a little bit of what what's it like to be a part of um, volunteering on the Hallelujah Toffee team? Well, it's. It is just the joy of my life. I, I still don't know why they come back every year. Um, the, it's so funny that Jim brings it up. He showed up one, the very first morning a couple years ago. It came about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I said, Jim, I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. He goes, well, I'm a very busy man. And I only have a little bit of time today, but I want to support you and Karen and what you're doing. So I'll be here for just a little while because I'm a very busy man. Yes, he did. He says that. It's so true. And then he never left. He was was there every day. But um, the volunteers, we show up and there's new faces every year and all of a sudden there's this common bond that happens between us where we're serving the Lord, we're serving these people we haven't met yet, but there's just something really remarkable because it's it's the work of God. It's not us. And um, it's just beautiful. There was one story, one couple years ago, we were cooking at the Catholic Church in town, and it's a tight little kitchen. Everybody was crowded. We're trying to weigh the toffee and seal the bags, and there was a Wednesday morning Bible study here at Hilltop, and it seemed like half the class came to the kitchen to help and brought friends, and there was no room. We were shoulder to shoulder, and people were having to share scales, and there were two women that had never met each other before. One was from here. One was from another church. She was a religious woman, but uh, you could tell that there was no personal relationship. They both had lost their husbands about six weeks before this date. And and it was just um, um, unimaginable that they could be sharing the scale together. And one began to minister to the other about hope in God and eternal life and the promise of heaven. And we all sensed that it was like holy ground. How a kitchen with nuts all over the place and craziness. Sometimes it's a Chinese fire drill. And the Lord uses that moment to speak to a person's heart. And we're just honored. It happens at the fairs. It's just a beautiful thing. And we we don't take it for granted that we get to do this part and so they keep coming back. If you come long enough, you get to be on the board, I guess, like Jim. <laughs> <laughs> we just love this man, and we're just so grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, so um, Jeannie, why don't you ask a couple of questions of uh, you? You want to share some stuff with uh, yes. within Kai's children? Well, we have been so excited to, like Kurt would say, spread the net and encourage other ministries. That's our goal is to come alongside someone who's already doing an amazing job. So I am excited to introduce you to Tanya and Keith Tackett. They've been married for 31 years. They have a son, Hunter, who is 27 years old and about to graduate from law school. So you know they've done some things already right. And he's been going with them to Kenya since he was 13 years old. And... um, 
Keith is a dentist, so um, we're partnering with him since we make toffee, and he suggests that you brush your teeth every day. The neat thing about Tanya and Keith is they've been involved in Kenya for all these years, but they are about to sell their home. He's giving up his profession, and they're moving full-time to Kenya this next summer. And um, we've had a few days to talk about their lives. And I guess I would ask you guys, um, what is your heart's passion about what you're doing there in Kenya? Um, the three cores of our, our, our uh, ministry is basically the Great Commission. It's just uh, evangelism, discipleship, and baptism. Um, we do other things. We branched out and dug quite a bit of other stuff, some scholarships and some medical stuff and, and uh, some feeding programs, particularly in time they have famine and drought in Kenya quite a bit. Um, and all those things are good. Jesus did, you know, attended to people's physical needs, but the spiritual stuff is really the core of our ministry. Um, so it's pretty, I, I'm a simple guy. I like to keep it simple. So it's pretty simple. The Great Commission, just evangelism, discipleship, and baptism. Um, the d discipleship probably, obviously, salvation is the biggest thing, but discipleship is, is so important, and that's what we really want to ramp up um, when we go full-time because um, it's great when we go over, and we can be kind of a spark, a catalyst to get them thinking evangelistically, um, but the indigenous people, the Kenyans, have to reach the Kenyans. We can't do it. We're, we're not, you know, we're just not that able to do that, so we want to make disciples that are going to make disciples that are going to make disciples and it's going to spread that way. And that's the, basically the example that Jesus used. That's how he did it. And so if you're going to look for an example, what better example than, than the Lord? Well, what is the mechanism that you use to speak to the Maasai people of Kenya? And they don't live in town. How do you get there and how do you minister to them? You want to do it? <laughs> okay. Um, we feel there's a lot of ministry work that's been done in Kenya over the years. There's lots of good uh, ministries going on in Kenya right now. Um, our kind of what God has called us to do is most of those ministries focus on the most populated areas, the, the areas that are easiest to get to, the areas where they can get um, the most bang for their buck, so to speak. And that makes perfect sense. But God laid it on our heart that the folks that live way out in the bush that live, you know, off the beaten path, tops of the mountains. Um, those people need Jesus just like anybody else. And those areas, those marginalized peoples have been, I won't say they've been ignored, but um, they're just not getting the gospel um, in ways that the other people are having opportunities. They don't, most of these folks don't have electricity. They don't have internet. They don't have, most of them don't have a radio. None of them have TV. Um, a lot of them can't read. So if somebody doesn't go tell them, there's a good chance they're not going to hear. So that's kind of our, our thing. And so what we do, we do what I call bush evangelism. We'll take a Land Cruiser four-wheel drive vehicle with a group of men, load it up with camping supplies. We'll go as far in the bush as we can get with that four-wheel drive, and then we'll set up a base camp, sleeping in tents, and then each morning we'll get up and split up into teams, and we'll just hike out and go wherever our local guides tell us that there's people that need to hear the word. Um, we use a um, story cloth, Bible history cloth. I think they've got some hanging up outside. You can look at them out there. It's basically a pictorial representation of God's uh, redemptive plan for mankind. It's 42 panels, each are Bible stories. 
Um, it was designed by a man named in Texas named Bob Calvert, and he designed it for both evangelism and discipleship. So there's a lot of stuff on there. Um, but we, we basically just use that in a, we try to form a story, a flowing story out of the, and make a narrative out of it because most of these folks are, um, just haven't had the opportunity to have any education. They can't read or write. They, they pass their traditions, their history down through oral storytelling. So they re that's their oral learners. Um, and when we can tell the story, plus they can see those little pictures, it really resonates with them. And so we use that Bible story cloth for both evangelism and discipleship. Well, on that Bible cloth, there was a couple of squares that you stopped to tell me the story of. One of them is uh, the story of the children of Israel while Abraham was up on the mountain. Um, they built the golden calf, and of course the Messiah understand calves because that's what they do is they herd the animals out into the wilderness out there. They related to that, but also to the baptism of Jesus. And I was hoping you'd share that story about why that means so much to them. Okay, there's a, the panel on the story cloth, and it basically comes after the birth of Christ, and he's lived his, his life, sin-free life for thir about approximately 30 years. He seeks out his cousin, John the Baptizer, who's baptizing in the Jordan River, and uh, John baptizes Jesus, and as he's coming up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord in the form of a white dove comes upon Jesus, and there's a little white dove on the story cloth. Um, and what we found out is with the Maasai people, the white dove is a holy bird to them. They're not allowed to kill it. They're not allowed to eat it. They're not allowed to mess with it. It's a holy bird. And I asked them, um, you know, did, where did you learn that from? Did that come from missionaries? You know, where does that come from? And they tell me, no, this, it's been like that for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's just God's just put that on their heart. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. When, when you tell that panel, they, they get it. They really get it. So baptism is that third part of your three goals, and that has to relate to that storybook cloth. And, and then uh, tell us how you uh, baptize people in the desert when there's no water. That's quite the interesting story. We um, purchased a prison ministries baptistry here in the States, and we snuck it into Kenya in our luggage. <laughs> it's a portable baptistry that's an aluminum frame with just a tarp that snaps around it. And so you can put it together and take it apart pretty quickly. Um, the problem in Kenya is there's not a lot of water. So fortunately, you know, we have a home base there. I will say I don't camp and hike out with him. I have a home base that I, I drive out and do ministry, and the people that he has evangelized will walk to areas, and we meet, and we'll have women's ministry, children's ministry, um, and then we do the baptism, and we have to load the water in jerry cans and haul it, um, and sometimes we'll baptize 30 or 40 people in a day in the same water, and they're happy to be in the same water. <laughs> um, they're just happy to have that. Well, we didn't skip it, but I, we can't go on without asking the question, how in the world did you go from Knoxville, Tennessee to Kenya? What was the trigger that changed everything for you guys? Uh, I'll have to throw myself under the bus on this one a little bit. Um, so I got saved in 2004, um, born again Christian, uh, going to church involved in some ministries in the church, some serving and whatnot, but there was just, I felt like something was missing. I felt like I hadn't found my place in what God's purpose for my life was. And um, I started drifting a little bit. Started, you know, I've got a lot of other interests. Um, 
I share an interest in dirt biking with Greg. Um, we, we've been talking about dirt bikes all weekend, but um, so I was skipping out on church a little bit. She was faithful going to church. And so one Sunday I come back from a dirt bike ride and uh, house church. And uh, well, I signed us up to go to Kenya on a mission trip. Um, <laughs> and I had zero interest in international missions, none whatsoever. And so we kind of went round and round a little bit. And basically she said, well, if you'd been at church today, you could have vetoed it, but you weren't. So I signed us up. <laughs> so kind of, kind of tough to argue with that. So, um, as, got, as it turned out, that trip got canceled. And so a few months went by and kind of the same thing. I started slipping back off and riding motorcycles when I should have been in church. And, and uh, she came, same thing, came home Sunday night. How'd church go? And she said, well, I signed uh, up for another trip to Kenya, but this time you're going by yourself. Um, <laughs> they changed the format to where they were going to try something new with just men only camping out in the bush doing evangelism. So... And I kind of bucked up and we went round and round and she gave me the same thing. Well, you should have been in church today. <laughs> so that's kind of how we got started. I'll add a little bit to that because God must have a sense of humor because I sent him thinking, okay, this is either going to go really well or we're going to be divorced when he comes home. But my first trip was just a few months after that. We went together and we were, there was supposed to be a team lead with us. We get to the airport and the team lead's not there. It's just us. And so I'm thinking, this is not funny. You know, even though I did the same thing to him, um, God kind of threw me out there. Um, and so we get to Kenya, and there was um, some gentlemen that had been there with the other organization we started with. And they said, well, we've been here for three months. We're going home. Have a good trip. So I kind of had, we were just thrown into the deep end, and God knew from the beginning that it was either sink or swim. And, and that organization kind of encouraged us from that point just to do our own thing. And that's when we started, you know, our own 501 3C and, and have been very blessed using the story cloth. I think over many years, we've had probably in the tens of thousands come to salvation, um, pray to receive Christ. And then our, after that, it's just really focusing on discipleship and baptism. Isn't that amazing what women can do with their husbands? <laughs> oh, I didn't say that, but maybe Greg will start Bush ministry out there in Nevada. Well, um, you also t lead teams that want to go to Kenya. If, if a group want, from here wants to go, how, to, how would that happen? Um, if they follow us on Facebook or our website, and I think that information is in the bulletin, um, it's just Kai's Children, and you can message me, and we take teams around five times a year. We spend quite a bit of time in Kenya, um, and we love having people from all over the U.S. go with us. Um, a typical trip will have maybe 10 or 11 people, but from different churches, and so it's, it's just beautiful to see everybody come together um, they don't have to do the bush ministry. Um, they can stay with me at the house and do holiday Bible club or women's ministry. Yeah. When you asked that question, I thought she was going to say for sure. Well, wives, all you have to do, <laughs> sign them up. <laughs> at the back table. That yeah. works too. And we do some, we do some other trips. We also do some construction because I know there's, there's folks that, you know, we're all gifted specifically to do certain things, um, but God wants us to do something. And, you know, some guys are just not comfortable with, with doing the story cloth. That's fine. We'll put you to work building a church or something. You know, we, we've got something for anybody that, want, that wants to go. So that's really cool to, uh, to hear from you guys. But, uh, Mark, we want to hear a little bit from you as well. So, Jim, you had a handful of questions you want to ask Mark. Yeah. Just before I do that, though, can I just briefly uh, touch on Novo? Uh, 
Our church, Hilltop Community Church, supports NEO, which is an umbrella. I mean, Novo is really the umbrella. NEO is below that. And they're in the Mideast. We want to support uh, a mission uh, in, in uh, Ukraine. And so this, because of the war and everything that's going on, they have churches over there. They're, they're dealing with the refugees. They're feeding them. They're clothing them. They're giving them the gospel. And you can see more information if you want to go online. It's in the bulletin. So with that said, we want to go to Mark uh, Miles, who is with Slavic Gospel Association. And uh, Mark has been serving uh, ministry for the last two decades, I believe. He graduated from Biola. He lives up in uh, the Northwest in Puyallup, if you know where that is. And uh, just a great individual that I've come to really appreciate. I got to meet with him the other day and I found out, this is an interesting story. He's married to, uh, how can I say this? Your, wife was, your wife's mother was from the Czech Republic in a little town called Pilsen. And a GI came to Pilsen, that was when the war ended in World War II, and found his wife's mother and married her over there and uh, brought her over to America and of course, that's part of the story here. I'm very thankful for that. Yes. And the other part of the story is my wife's father also ended the war in uh, Pilsen. And uh, I remember when Ruth and I were over there, we, we uh, had a tour guide, and the tour guide say the Russians came and liberated us, and they stayed for 40 years. So uh, now they are liberated. But anyhow, that's just a sideline story. But Mark, uh, I know that you've been involved with SGA for a number of years. You, you have, you're supporting churches over in these various countries, U Ukraine, Russia, and so forth. So why don't you give us a little uh, information on that? I won't take all the time. Sure. Well, um, SGA started in the 1920s when uh, actually uh, a uh, Belarusian family, and Belarus, Belarus is the country just above Ukraine, um, they sent their 15-year-old son to the United States in the 1920s, and that son uh, ended up in Chicago. The idea was that he was going to get some work and send uh, money home to his impoverished family, and he did do that. But while he was there, he was invited to attend a service at the Moody Bible Church. And while at the church, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And Christ called him uh, to go back to his own country, to his own people, and to start evangelizing. And so he went home. Uh, he started holding evangelistic crusades at churches throughout the country and eventually started traveling to some of the other countries that uh, were part of the Soviet Union. Um, in 1934, so 88 years ago, the Slavic Gospel Association was found as a nonprofit organization. And uh, we have offices uh, in various countries around the world, but our focus in ministry is on the former Soviet Union, the Commonwealth of Independent States, it's called. And we work in uh, dozens of countries there. Uh, our focus is on um, really uh, two things. One is training pastors. And so we would uh, like to um, see the need that is severe through most of those countries met uh, for new young pastors to come in and, and plant churches. And so we have three seminaries, one in Russia, one in Ukraine, uh, one in Belarus, and a Bible Institute in the uh, Muslim-majority nation of Kazakhstan that is also teaching pastors how to lead churches, how to preach the Bible, how to lead their congregations in outreach and evangelism in their communities. So training uh, pastors is job one. 
And then we also work with youth, youth Bible camps. Uh, this year we had 50,000 youth, 51,000 and change, that attended Bible camps. I attended Hume Lake uh, over in California when I was a kid. And that had a, a significant impact on my life and really changed my direction uh, into full-time ministry uh, from that point forward. And uh, these kids go to camps that are probably maybe a little humbler than uh, Hume Lake would be. But they're hearing the gospel. They're doing fun things with their peers. They're away from their families for about a week, which gives uh, those poor families an opportunity maybe to uh, uh, kind of re readjust things and uh, and. So that's all good, but they hear the gospel, and then they come home and then share that with their families. We also work with orphans, uh, 179 orphanages throughout the various countries of the former Soviet Union, including in Russia. And we train pastors that are going into Russia, as well as Ukraine, as well as Kazakhstan and Armenia and Georgia and so on. You've been over there just recently. How are the the churches in Russia, the Christians, the believers in Russia handling this war. Yeah. So I spent um, two weeks in Ukraine and in Poland, two of the countries that we work in, meeting with pastors and also visiting orphanages and visiting um, two of the seminaries that we work with and meeting with their leadership, hearing their vision for the future. And essentially the vision is that there would be no one in any one of the countries where we work who is in a village or a town that does not have a Bible teaching church. And so that is the goal for these seminaries as they graduate students. Um, while I was there, I also um, saw some of the destruction. One of the seminaries in Irpin, uh, Ukraine, which is kind of near the Russian border up in the north. It's, it's north of the capital, Kiev, and just south of the border with Russia. Irpin was one of the cities that was virtually destroyed as the Russians came through in the initial days of their invasion. And that seminary's top floor was destroyed. Uh, there are pictures on the, the screen in the back of the room that show some of that. Um, but even then, in September, with half of their buildings destroyed, they started classes with another 200 young um, seminary students who are going to be in a few years pastors moving out into various parts of the world. And um, so that, that's a little bit about uh, some of the things that I saw on that trip. The other, the other question I had is I know you've got a big event that you plan for the children at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, each year, uh, and we've been doing this for decades, um, we have um, we pair up individuals or churches with communities in each of the countries where we work. And uh, the idea is um, very similar to the shoebox ministry that you're participating here with uh, Samaritan's Purse. And that's a great ministry, so I'm excited to see you doing that. Our church has been doing that for many years. But the idea is that we um, provide those kids, uh, each of the kids with a Bible, each of the kids with some kind of a special uh, gift, and then with some practical needs. So a very similar process. All of those are sourced locally, so it feeds back into the economies in those countries. And then um, each of those kids are connected up with a church so that there's discipleship follow-up that's happening with those kids. And so in, um, in thousands of churches across the former Soviet Union, uh, there are kids that are receiving uh, that interaction and, and hearing the gospel being presented to them. Do you have any more you wanted to ask? Uh, I guess the only thing, I, we've kind of asked a handful of direct questions to you. Is there anything else about the ministry that you guys have with Slavic Gospel Association that you're passionate about that you would like to share with us? 
Yeah, I think the, the key is the same, that uh, the passion between each of our ministries are essentially the same and with the church here as well, and that's to see people come to Christ. And so anything that we do is always tied to, always affiliated with the gospel message being preached. And so for me, uh, as a, um, a, a young guy that's been teaching, I teach, my wife and I teach preschool in our church. Uh, I work with a children's program at Bible Study Fellowship. Um, I've been involved in outreach ministries. We work evangelism in our community. That one piece of any of our ministries is really the key to what we do. It's about seeing young kids uh, wherever they happen to be in Kenya or in Eastern Europe or in Asia uh, come to know Christ. Yeah. And, and, uh, Keith and, and Tanya, I want to ask you guys kind of this similar question. Um, you know, you're giving up your practice, you're selling your home, you're moving to Kenya, you're essentially just turning your life upside down. Um, you know, what's, what's your motivation? Why are you guys doing what you're doing? Okay. Um, on my first trip to Kenya, uh, the, <laughs> the one she shipped me over there, um, <laughs> It was a life-changing experience. I mean, it was just, it, it turned my life upside down. It really did. It was just a life-changing experience. But near the end of that trip, um, we were camping and we were going out and hiking to these bomas, which is a house, just hut to hut doing evangelism. And one of the, I was in a three-man team and one of the guys, uh, we came to a, a boma and we presented the gospel. And I don't know, 12 or 15 people received the gospel. And we were fellowshipping with them, and the old man um, who had given us permission to share the gospel because their society's patriarchal. Everything goes, you know, the, the white-haired guys are, are the top guys over there. So um, he had given us permission to share, and we shared the gospel, and some people prayed to receive. And then we were fellowshipping with him, and the old man um, said, I'm a twin. He said, I have a twin brother, and he lives. he's lived on the ridge over just beyond where we are at. We've been together our whole life. Um, but he died six months ago, um, and he said, um, uh, "He said, what? Uh, why hasn't someone come and told us about this Jesus before? Um, what took you so long?" And he didn't say it in an, in an accusing way, but God just—I mean, the Holy Spirit just punched me right in the face, um, and it, it just made me realize that you know when Jesus said the Great Commission, it wasn't just a, a general comment. He was speaking to each born-again believer. He was speaking to me, and the Holy Spirit just made that real in my life in that moment. Um, so I don't, I didn't make a deal with God. You don't, you don't make deals with God, but I told God, you know, if you, from that point forward, if you'll let me um, have the strength and the financial means and the way to do it, I'm going to keep coming back, and I'm going to keep sharing the gospel with as many people here as you put in front of me. And uh, that was in 2008, and he's blessed me, and we've been able to, and Tanya, and the uh, you know, she has the same heart I have, and so that's kind of kind of what we do there. Yeah. And then, Tony, you want to share? Yeah. I think for me, um, along those same lines, it falls right in with his story. Is um, Romans ten fourteen through fifteen is how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so for me, I feel like it's our job, all of us, to share um, the gospel. And so that kind of feeds into what he said. Yeah, yeah. So Karen, similar question for you. Uh, you can steal the mic from Jim there. Um, 
you know, you've been making toffee for 20 years, nonprofit for 12, 43,000 tons or no, not tons. Um, a lot of toffee made over the years. Um, you know, what, what keeps you going? What's your motivation to do this each and every year? Yeah. Well, I, I really thought about that question over the years, every year, especially on a hard day when you're like, why are I doing this? Why am I, why are we doing this? And of course, as born again believers, anytime, you know, what's first John one, I think it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and his blood covers our sins. And so it's just out of this gratitude for him, um, and just an act of worship to, to serve him who's given me everything I could ever want and so much more. So it does come from that. Um, every body of believers has that feeling for me in, in the kitchen, it's selfish. I love being there because everybody knows, you know, we're all together. We're working on a common goal. I would say I was telling Tanya the other day that I'm a recovering Martha. And so, um, the kitchen can be a, a very dangerous place. I can be, uh, I can tend towards sin and pride thinking, oh, we, look at this great thing we're doing. Um, but God keeps me humble the other 10 months out of the year when all I'm doing is scrubbing toilets or making lunches. And all of those callings are equal. You know, Jesus is the great equalizer. I think he brings different tribes together. He brings different communities together. And I think in my own life, he equalizes out all of the work that I do, whether it's elevated or if it's very reduced, all of it is an act of worship, no matter what I'm doing each day. And um, when I need to remind myself of it, it really does come back to Galatians 2.20, which you said at the beginning, it's my life verse. If you're looking for a life verse, it's a good one. To say to yourself, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the motivation all of us have. It's the best motivation. It has nothing to do with earning. It's just this gratitude, you know? I don't know if I can put it into words, but yeah. that's as good as I can do. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, and so, so we're kind of wrapping up our time here. And, um, you know, as you sit in the audience and you hear these types of things, you know, uh, essentially you guys are saying your life versus Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. You know, it's the great commission. If you guys don't know those verses, man, get to know them. Um, Jesus has tremendous work for us to do as, fo as his followers. Um, Karen sharing that as, as that great commission has impacted your life, it's actually transformed you from the inside out so that uh, your heart's desire is now to honor and serve the king um, with, with everything that you do, whether that's off season and just being a mom and a wife and, and all the different things that God has you doing um, in those 10 months or whether it's pedal to the metal, um, making, making toffee and earning uh, the bucks that send people across the world to um, to minister, uh, whatever it is, it's an act of worship. And, you know, I'm reminded of these verses in Ephesians chapter two. I, I know I read these to you guys fairly often, but I, I, you know, you can hear them a million times, but you know, you, do you, you can know them, but do you know them? Um, and so there's this message here. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. That is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Um, if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. I want you to hear loud and clear. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Um, there's no work for you to perform. There's no penance to pay. Um, Jesus did all of that for you on the cross. It is his gift to you. 
Um, so if you've been living in a, in a lifestyle that's in opposition to God, you're not following him. The message of, of Jesus is, is you're, you're free from that because of his payment on the cross for you. It's a gift. Um, and not only is the gift of your debt paid off, um, but the gift of his marvelous life now brought to you. Um, the gospel is truly amazing. And so that's the gift. Um, and uh, then, then it goes on and it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, God, or for, for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Um, and I think it's important to remember that God has saved us for a purpose. He saved us for the Great Commission to preach and then to send preachers. He saved us to honor Him in everything that we do, whether it's you know the high seasons of life or whether it's just kind of the day-to-day -day seasons of life. Whatever it is, um, He's created us for those to be acts of worship. And, uh, and, and I think it's important to remember, Dallas Willard said this, Grace is not opposed um, to effort but it is opposed to earning, right? God doesn't have a problem with us saying, in fact, Jesus tells us, the scriptures tell us, love God with every fiber of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, all your strength. Love, there's effort is not a problem for God. He wants all of our effort. But when we approach him, it's from a position of gratitude because everything's already been given to us. We're not there to earn something from him. We're there to live in a state of gratitude. So, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, but it sounds like when you give your all for Jesus because of what he's done for you, he'll do amazing things through you. Um, and that's what we're called to be as his followers. And so let me pray for these ministries and for us as a church. Father, we, uh, we thank you so much that you're, you're here with us, you're present, you care about us. Um, uh, you know, Father, I know there are some people who walked in here this morning and uh, uh, maybe their world is, is, is on fire. It's upside down. They're struggling in their marriage. They don't know what to do with their kids. Their job situation is no good. Their finances are giving them a hard time. There's so many things that could uh, get our eyes off of you. Um, but I pray that in, in those low points, we would be reminded of our need to put our eyes on you. Um, and that as we see what God is doing through, uh, through different people, Jesus, as we see what your life is doing through different individuals, we recognize that if we've trusted in your death on the cross and your, your resurrection from the dead, that same life is in us. And so God, uh, uh, you know, the, we, we trust the Holy Spirit to give us gifts and abilities and uh, passions. We trust uh, Jesus. We trust that uh, you're going to give us different areas of ministry to work in. And then uh, we also trust that the results are up to you. And so we live in this place of freedom uh, where your spirit indwells us and gifts us and guides us. Um, uh, Jesus, you give us different areas of ministries within your kingdom to serve people and, and bring you glory. And then uh, the results are really up to you. And it's amazing to see what you do. Um, so I pray for those this morning who have not made a decision to follow you, that they would see how marvelous it is to be a member of your family, um, that they would give up trying to um, earn their salvation, or uh, maybe they're just ignoring the idea of salvation, that instead they would see uh, what your son Jesus has done for them, that they would come to repentance and faith. And for those of us who are part of your family, God, um, just stir in us. What do you want, what do you want us to do? Um, not because we have to, but because we long to serve you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.